Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's good to finally get to meet you and uh, for the guys that did the worship music and stuff this morning, you could tell that they were prepared for that. I really enjoyed and appreciate that. You don't, you don't know how much things mean sometimes until you, you are without it or people approach it in a way that seems like it doesn't really matter. And uh, for Sam and Nathan and Scott and Kathy and Mark, y'all did a good job. Thank you so much for that. We have several things in common. Uh, Cleon Rogers I've known for about 21 years now. And our worship pastor renamed him Klingon. So they've, they've had a long and arduous relationship. And uh, he's a great guy, and they've done good work there in Germany. Our daily bread stood out to me because a lot of what I do is out in the workplace. Uh, Monday mornings at 6.45, I do devotions for a construction company in Decatur. There are probably 43 people on that call and it's like a spiritual sausage biscuit first thing Sunday, uh, Monday morning just to get people going right. We'll take a simple verse like Proverbs 12, 22, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. And we seek as a company to follow that principle. And some of these men aren't believers, but it still makes sense to them. And uh, one of them, a good friend of mine named Anthony Wells, he informed me of the two cuss words that he's got his vocabulary shrunk down to. And all I could say is, Anthony, that's good, and I appreciate it. So a lot of men, and, and a question I ask of them sometimes is, do you have more peace than you need? And not one man ever says, yeah, I'm just looking to give I said, well, you know, look, just take five minutes a day to connect with the God that made you. Leave it in your truck and do something that way, and before long, uh, there begins to be change. And men begin to honor God rather than call His name in vain. And uh, so with a construction company and a plumbing company, two different rock quarries and a pallet plant where a lot of ex-cons work, uh, I get to work with people who have more tattoos than they have teeth. And, and they are my guys, and I love them dearly and I get to see God do work in their lives. It's a great blessing to me. It's my favorite day of the week. I'll be so tired. <laughs> Sometimes when I come in on Wednesdays, my eyes will cross, but I'll be happy because that's what we get to do. So we have several things in common among them. Uh, the Daily Bread, Klingon and Kathy, a child or two, uh, Emery and Conrad, uh, it was actually the owner of the pallet plant that flew me up here when Conrad was born, and he didn't have such an easy go of it right at first. And I so appreciated getting to be here, and I appreciate you looking after uh, our daughter, Hope's daughter, my daughter, Ashley, and Brian. We love them, and we miss them. And I was jealous of Matissel for so many years to get to hold my grandbabies, and I couldn't hold them. I appreciate... Facebook and all that, but until their fat runs up between your fingers, you hadn't had your grandkids. That's got to happen. Got to happen. 
So thank you for your kindness to my family and me. I prefer paper over plastic, so I don't know what you think about a man with a borrowed Bible. And uh, this sermon has been thrown in the trash once. It was thrown in the trash a few nights ago at a Casey's uh, gas station in Iowa. Uh, some friends of mine and I had been out to South Dakota chasing Chinese chickens, better known as pheasants. And uh, one man had come to know Christ about 30 years ago because of the pastor's wife who worked at the post office. I saw they had a help wanted sign down at the post office and she was the postmistress, and she would be there receiving packages that my friend Gerald Lancaster would mail. He worked in the restaurant industry selling pots and pans. And Jackie Bateman, who recently went on to be with the Lord, some, according to some, just some no-name lady at the post office, started reaching out. And uh, God used her greatly. And he, he recounted um, that story to me while we were on this pheasant hunting trip. Another fellow, Jeff Scott, who worked in the prison um, institution out in Idaho for 12 years, he was on the trip, and he was the first man to ever take me pheasant hunting. And that was well over 30 years ago. So we had a ball. Yeah, we got some pheasants, but we had such a good time fellowshipping together. And I find that we need that more than we need to have a successful hunt. And as the guy prayed, Mark, I, if I knew what the word concise meant, I would look it up and I'm sure this sermon would be concise. But he's already prayed that I would be concise. And you probably should have talked to my wife before all that happened. So, <laughs> so this morning, as believers have done for centuries, we read the scriptures. We read various passages, it just so happens that one of them, the Proverbs 3 passage on, in 1975 at Thomas Road Baptist Church, there was a man preaching about that passage. And my Christian mother went and got my alcoholic dad out of bed that morning. And she took him a cup of coffee and she said, Joe, I think you would like to hear what this man has to say. And his name was Chuck Milhuff. He was from Kansas City. And he was preaching a message about giving. And so here's my unbelieving dad drinking his coffee, having been woke, uh, waking up by my, my mom. And it made sense to an unbelieving man that he should begin giving. And so my dad started giving. A year later, when we had been through things, my dad had lost his job because he pulled a gun on a man. And uh, it was, those were some difficult years, but out of that, those years came this story that I'm telling you now. And a year later, he goes out behind the tire store that he was a part of, and he said, God, I've blamed my whole life on everybody else. And I've been the problem. If you'll forgive me, you can have me. And suddenly at 510 Sunset Road in El Dorado, Arkansas, there was light where there had been darkness. There was hope 
where there had been hopelessness. And that's the kind of God we serve. That's, that's why we sing, whether we feel good or not on a particular morning, because He's worthy. He's worthy to be served if He makes us tired. He's worthy to be served in the good times and the bad. And that's good to know, um, because we lost a church member last night at 8 o'clock to ALS. His name is Mike Whitehead. He and his wife, Carol, Hope and I visited with a couple of, what was it, back in July? We sat for about an hour and a half, and we were just in awe of the testimony that they bore, knowing he was dying, knowing it was happening quick. I had just taken this man to Cracker Barrel for lunch back in February, and his descent went fairly rapidly. And next thing you know, I got a email, I got it this morning very early, that he had passed away. And like the Heidelberg Catechism says, our only hope in life and in death is in Jesus Christ. He's it. He's not the best thing going. He's the only thing going. And that is something we have as a church, as a people, as believers in and followers of Christ that this world needs. There's a guy who joined the Navy at 17 years old. His name is Jimmy Smith. He has a jewelry store in Decatur, Alabama. And that guy, he's good at selling things because he's, he's just a really good guy. He has a lot of integrity. And you'll walk into a store and he'll say, Paul, there's never been a better time to buy a diamond. And he's just like a tractor beam. He'll draw you in. But then I find there's been another tractor beam that has drawn something out of my right hip pocket. So we just talk and we're friends. There's never been a better time to share the gospel, to bear the burden of the gospel with people who are hostile. There's never been a better time because it's dark and crazy out there. I know what dark is. And those who say they love it, they're lying to themselves. It's not a good thing. So this morning... As believers have done, we're going to go to the scriptures and whatever our individual opinions and a lot, a lot of opinions been aired over the last two years. May we ever come under and before God's word in a way that exalts it. When I've spent some time on the mission field here and there and trying to teach people how to understand and apply the Bible, this is the gesture that usually communicates the most. Is that this is God's Word, and as His people, we come under it. He is the one with the authority, and we are to stay under it and come before Him like that. So I, I came to know the Lord at 13. I was... My trip to Bible camp was paid for by a carpenter who lived down the road from us whose sons tried unsuccessfully to teach us how to cuss as they had learned how to do on construction sites. My mom busted up their little session, and that was the end of that. Um, unbeknownst to me, they were praying for us. And I can't even remember hardly how I got there, but I remember sitting... Over here, I didn't know any of the church kids, none of them. And this man from Grand Prairie, Texas, began to talk through stories in the Bible. And he did a good job. And then he would share the gospel. And I remember thinking, if that was true, 
If I understood that, that would be the best thing I've ever heard in my life. That there's a God who loves me and a Christ who died to save me and that I can have eternal life and be forgiven. That's the best story ever. It's more true than any story I will ever tell. That He loves us. And I'm a little slow, so it took about five days for that to sink in. And I had learned in a big denominational church two verses. Number one was John 3.16, which is the most well-known verse in all the world. But the children at elementary school here probably don't know that verse anymore. At least they don't in Decatur, Alabama. And I knew 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A man in that big church had given me a quarter to learn that verse. That was a well-spent quarter. And I went back to John 3, 16, to the key word, which is believe. The key word is not understand. That word doesn't occur in that verse. But believe does. And God changed my life. Made me clean. I'd never been clean one day in my life. And He made me clean. And immediately I began praying for my dad that I've shared some about. And oh God, would you please save my dad. And two years later, I got a new dad. And a party broke out at our house. It went on. For decades. Everybody wanted to come to our house, not because we had everything, but because we had everything. We had him. And he changed us. I knew the doxology. I could repeat the Apostles' Creed, both of which are good, but neither of which had any meaning for me because I didn't understand about the gospel. I was practicing religion, but I didn't know the relationship. The Apostles' Creed to me is now rich and full because I know the God of whom that creed speaks. It's life-changing for many. So I came to know Christ, and at 14, in a church service not very different from this, our pastor preached about taking the gospel to people who don't know Christ. And he invited young people, teenagers, who would like to say, God, if you'll send me, I will go where you want me to go. That was, that was me at 14. All the teenagers sat on the first three rows at this church. We were cherished by that church body. We were surrounded by people who worked in the plants and the factories, people who had their own businesses, but they would go out of their way just to connect with one or two of us. And I moved to the front, and then again in a message like that at 17, years old, he invited the parents who would be willing to let their children go to do what God wanted them to do to come. And I still remember what it felt like to have my mom and my dad come down and stand behind me and put their hand on me, thereby saying, we let you go to do what God wants you to do. So there's some history. Ashley is the first of our four children and we're grateful for them. And I, we notice all of them move away as soon as they can. I don't really know what to make of that. And they move a long ways away. But uh, thank you for looking after them. Currently, I serve as the pastor, as a pastor on the staff at First Bible Church. I'm a catalyst pastor. Boy, that's, that's kind of jazzy, isn't it?
or for those engineers in the bunch, you know, a catalyst helps things move. It makes things change and get to where it's going quicker. And I think that's probably the only title they could hang on me that worked very well. So for the saved and the unsaved, for those whose marriages have fallen apart, whose children are going through terrible things, when their house burns down or when their spouse leaves them, when there's church discipline, when there's things that need to happen, that's where I find myself fitting the most, if I fit at all. I, I kind of fit out there with my, my guys in the workplace, but I'm not, not known for being around the church very much, to be honest with you. Um, so I'll, I'll greet them with a cold water and a fruit and a snack and see them for 30 seconds or three minutes out in the workplace. And then I, I try to be at church when I have to be. So that you probably figured that out already. Let's look at the book of John. My favorite book in the Bible. It speaks so clearly. I love that part. There's death and there's life. There's darkness and there's light. And I love that. If you'll turn over to chapter 10... Chapter 10, it's, it seems like a lengthy reading, but we're going to sneak up on a passage where Jesus has already said one of the seven I am's. He said, I am the good shepherd. And you know what that means. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he later in this chapter, in this passage, he'll say, I am the son of God. I'll be reading from... The NIV larger print. The lady kind of laughed at me when she, she said, this one will work for you. And I just thought, that wasn't very nice. It's true, but it wasn't very nice. John 10, verses 22 through 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. The Hanukkah or the Festival of Lights, the Festival of Dedication, refers back to when a very ungodly leader named Antiochus Epiphanes IV desecrated the temple back in 168 B.C. And for three years, it was just like a bombed-out part of the life in Israel. He, I think, ultimately had sacrificed a pig inside the temple. And through a series of amazing things, God restored the power to Israel and they were able to cleanse the temple. And this commemorates that. It, that happened in 165 B.C. So it's the Festival of Lights. It is, people are feeling kind of like what we feel at Christmas time. They're enjoying being together. There's, there's a lot of light. It's called the Festival of Lights the festival of dedication, and there was light where there had been darkness, and it was winter. Uh, the portico of Solomon inside the temple, the outer court, there are these columns, and it's like being right here, only about 40 times bigger. And underneath the sides of that, there would be people talking and coming and going, and then the open court would be where a lot of people were, but there were little huddles of people all the way around. And Jesus was in the temple courts 
walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When he spoke earlier in that passage, he was addressing them directly. And he said to them, as bears out in the book of John, eight different miracles that are like a sign, someone waving a sign. The person who does this is God. And they're saying, hey, why don't you tell us if you're the Messiah? And he, he hearkens to those works that he did. In chapter 2, turning the water into wine was, was one of the first ones. And there were many others leading up to this passage that he refers to. And he says, I don't need to tell you guys anything. I've rolled it all out in front of you, and you've all said again and again, I don't believe. I don't believe. So that's, a way, that's why Jesus speaks as he does. And after he says that last statement, which is a great statement of the deity of Christ, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He's saying, I'm equal to my Father. He's not claiming anything like self-promotion, but he's just stating a fact. I, I am God. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. I want to tell you something. I know why Palestinians throw rocks. Because they'll never run out of ammunition over there. There are rocks everywhere. Hope and I had the privilege of going there back in, was it 2016? Hope? Back in there somewhere. They never run out of ammo. There are rocks everywhere. That's why, they, that's why they did that. The Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, are a, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. If you read through the Gospels, this is about the third or fourth time that this went down just like this. They were unsuccessful. Two more verses. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan 
to the place where John had been baptizing in his early days. There he stayed. And many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Believe is the key word in the book of John. One of my favorite commentaries on the book of John is by a guy named Tenney. And the, the title of his commentary is The Gospel of Belief. Perhaps you're walking along in your Christian life or maybe you're new to it or maybe it's a little old or cold or distant. I would encourage you to turn to the book of John this week and begin to read about 50, somewhere between 50 and 100 times the word belief is used in the book of John. And as I said, the first miracle was turning the water into the wine. The last one was in, I think, John 11, where he raised Lazarus from the dead. The I am statements are there, seven of them to be exact. And the key, word, the key verse, the most memorized verse in all the Bible, is that one, John 3.16. If you want to study and understand and come to know the deity of Christ, the book of John is where to find that. If you want to know more about the humanity of Christ, you find that mostly in Hebrews, where you go to find encouraging books that tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace. So we can be encouraged there. Believing in Jesus equals life change in the book of John. It did in the first century, and it does in this century. I've seen it happen so many times. Not because of me, but I've, I've been in the stands watching people, hoping I went to Mexico to begin to strengthen the churches there. In, a, in the state of Michoacan, it's in the western part of Mexico, southern, west, southwestern part. There are 11 million, there were 11 million people. There are more than that now. Less than 2%, less than 2% claim to be believers. We lived in a little place called Puebla. About 4.3 million people lived there. There were 18 churches for 4.3 million people where you could hear the gospel. There's probably more than 18 churches here in South Boston. And as has been prayed this morning, we are privileged to have, I counted the number of Bibles I had a few years ago, it was 17. And Hope and I have been in places in New Guinea where they did not have one word of the Scriptures in their own language. So, God reveals Himself to us in general revelation, in creation. As the Scriptures tell us, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of His hands. If you hadn't been outside last two nights, just looked how clear it is, you've missed something. It's just good to see the awe of things. My son-in-law calls himself a farmer. I just came from South Dakota where there are four and five sections of land that are one crop. And it just blew my mind, the expanse of that. 
that God has made. And uh, Brian is a farmer, and he's a, he's a pretty good one. We've been out, I, I think I harvested a couple of bushels of soybean dust out of my eye this morning when I got up. <clears throat> Jesus left no question as to his mastery of all things. And this morning, he leaves no question. For Carol Whitehead, Jesus, are you enough for me? Now that I've lost my husband. They had the same questions we did. And for those that were hostile toward him, he bested them over and over and over again. He spoke truth to those who loved exerting power and they hated him. While those who had no power loved him. That'd be Jesus. The message this morning comes from a series called The Case for a Well-Informed Faith. And the title of this message, you'll need something to write with if possible, is The Security of the Saint. The outline was put together by a pastor friend of mine and I thought it was so good. I didn't want to change or improve it. So Jesus, on the occasion of the Feast of Lights, the dedication, or rather the rededication of the temple, He reminds people of the sovereignty of God against unbelievable odds. God delivered the nation, defended His name, and miraculously brought light out of the darkness back in 165 B.C. Jesus attested His Messiahship, His Godship by signs and owning divinity, clarifying and signifying that people were either following the good shepherd or they were following one who steals, kills, and destroys. Number one in the outline is this. All who are truly born again will persevere until the end. If you look at verses 27 through 29, that's what it talks about will be preserved. All who are truly born again will persevere unto the end. They will be preserved. Remember when Jesus said, no one can take them out of my hand. And then he said the other part, no one is able to take them out of my Father's hand. Of course, being here with the grandkids, there's going to be an illustration there somewhere. I took Emery and I set her up on the counter. I stood her up. And I, I let her stand there on top of this little stool right there. At the, and she was so afraid. And I said, you don't need to be afraid. Your papa is not going to let you fall. I got you. But she was still afraid. Sounds a lot like us. Almighty God, the creator of the ends of the earth, says, I, I got you. And we're like a four-year-old thinking about, I noticed Emory, every time I'd stand her, she would look down. And I'd say, no, 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 just look up here. Look up here. I got you. How much more does God, the creator of the ends of the earth, have us? We'll be preserved. We'll be protected. 
will be cared for, will be carried if necessary, never abandoned by God. Later on in the book of John in chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus talks the most about the Holy Spirit that He ever does. And that's probably part of the reason why this is my favorite book. And He says to His disciples who really don't get it at the time, guys, it's, you, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, the Helper will come and He will bring to mind the things that I've taught you at the worst times of my life to remember things like God has promised, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Never. I love that. When I'm low, Psalm 62, 8, reminds me, trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. Our God is a refuge for us. He says that because He means that. We read it because we need it. This is not a cakewalk. This is not our home. Yes, we live here. Yes, we earn a living. Yes, we face trials. But this isn't it. So number one, all who are truly born again will persevere until the end. Verses 27 through 29. Number two, as believers we have partaken of the resurrection life of the Son of God and shall never perish. Back to John 3.16. Believing in Him shall never perish. Verse 28 in this chapter. That's what it's talking about. As believers, we have partaken of the resurrection life of the Son of God and shall never perish. When I got together with my buddies earlier this, I guess it was last Friday, and we had not seen each other, one of us in particular, for 30 years. And we were just kind of feeling each other out, just trying to figure out what's going on in our lives. I noticed quickly that my friend Jeff Scott had grown. He had grown as a believer. Beside his bed was his well-used Bible that he read every single day. And he spoke quickly of the kindness of God. And later on in the week, as we began to share some of the hard things that we had been through, you could tell that he knew that God had a hold of him. And we were able to encourage each other. I think fellowship is one of the most neglected things in the 21st century. We're so autonomous. We think, I got my mess together, you get your mess together. The Bible does not speak that way. The Bible speaks of people who have a relationship with God sharing their lives with someone else who has a relationship with God. That fellowship is important for men to have men that they can fellowship with. For women to have other women who understand what, what is going on and what that's like. And for us to encourage each other. The affirmation of others is helpful, but as believers we have partaken of the resurrection life of the Son of God and shall never perish. I do, I get to work with young people sometime and do baptisms. And to me, it's never a religious service. It's never just a little ceremony any more than a funeral or a wedding or anything. It's just so clear that this is something God is doing. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it speaks this way about baptism. Buried with Him in baptism, 
raised to walk in newness of life. That kind of affirmation that comes in a fellowship like this is very important in the lives of believers. Number three, our eternal life is dependent on the Son who is God. Verse 30. The ever-living, everlasting, life-giving creator of the ends of the earth, God says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And eternal life is yours by faith in him. It is for this reason, one of the reasons it says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That verse has encouraged me many times. I remember teaching at the teacher's college in New Guinea. They gave me the greatest times to teach, 1.30 in the afternoon. That's all you need to do is put 90 young people in a room about twice as big with a belly full of rice and fish and try to teach them something. I mean, they were hanging on for dear life and some of them just, just caved in. They did a little study about churches and they said if you took every person in church who slept any particular Sunday and laid them end to end, they would be much more comfortable. So that, maybe that'll help you. <clears throat> he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. After that first that first class, I went back to my little office that was made out of an old bank building. Now don't, don't get too carried away. It was, a, it was a plank-sided hut that I took a chainsaw to and cut some windows out of. I closed the curtains and I put my head on my desk and I said, God, can you please send someone here who can make a difference? Can you please send someone else here? Someone that can really impact people. Because that's not impact. And he stayed with me. And he encouraged me. And he helped me through until that was one of the greater joys of my life. It was always a challenge. I knew they were going to give me that 130 slot. So I had to go in there like a ball of fire. More like a Roman candle. There had to be several balls of fire to keep that bunch woken up. But our eternal life is not dependent on us. Our ministry, the outflow of our life is not dependent on us. It's dependent on the Son who is God. Also Philippians 1.6 is one of my favorite verses where it says, He who began the good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ. One of the old commentators says, discouragement is one of the most worn out tools in the devil's box. He will beat your head and my head soft with it. And we need to be prepared for it. God's Word remains true. Number four, lastly, the evidence of faith or for faith is found in one's fruit and one's growth. However, don't look at yourself too hard. I find that can be very discouraging. But I also find that looking to Him 
can be wildly encouraging, even in the worst of circumstances. He is not going to go anywhere. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's got you. No one is able to pluck you out of His hand. And Jesus has got you anyway. I love this passage about that. The evidence for faith is found in one's fruit and growth, verses 37 through 39. The confidence, the assurance, the comfort. Then the progress as we pursue and persist, we grow. So I've got a few questions for you just to finish up. This is from a fellow named Grudem who writes books that are way too big. One of them's about 1,200 and something pages. The other one's 840. And then there's one that says 20 Bible doctrines. That's mine. The others, too much. This is a personal question to each person here. Do I have a present trust in Christ for salvation? Right now. Number two, is there evidence of a regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? Or to quote something maybe a little more practically, a woman named Barbara Arnold who spent 40 years as a missionary in New Guinea, is there any fire for God in your heart? Is there any spark there? And number three, do I see a long-term pattern of spiritual fruit in my life? John chapter 10 is a story. It is God's Word. It is a history. It is a narrative of what happened back in the first century where people had seen God do great and amazing things. And they still were saying, uh, we don't believe that. Let's be sure that's not our story. Let's not wait. I encourage you to believe Him today while it is still called today. Let me pray with you. Almighty God, for Your kindness, for Your goodness, we give You praise. You alone are God. And there is no other. And You've made Yourself manifest to us. You've revealed Yourself to us. In creation and in Your Word. And this morning, You've entrusted to us another portion of that. Not just for our heads, not just for our hearts but for our entire lives. And we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace to help us to be quickened to what you want to do. And God, as we move into a time of communion where we remember what you've done for us, we ask that you would help us to examine our, ourselves, our lives, and ensure that there is no blockage, there is nothing that we won't deal with when it comes to you. Help us to be honest with you and honest with ourselves, honest with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.